Okay, good morning. Happy New Year. Can you believe it? it it's here, and did you survive the holidays? You survived? No, I heard this. Uh, uh. Okay, isn't that the truth now? So you, you do the, the festivities and New Year's, and I, I have like a bunch of family birthdays all mixed in around this time. It's crazy, and, I, and I'm just, oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's kind of over, but it is the new year, and usually what happens when, when we go through the holiday season, uh, and, it, and it is January, and you look, the first is a couple days back, and so we're, we're now kind of getting back into normal life. Do you feel like you're kind of getting back into normal life, and it doesn't feel very good, right? It doesn't, it doesn't, you're like, you, you're still, you still have your eggnog hangover, right? You're just, it doesn't feel good. Why? Because what's going on at home? You're fighting with your, your spouse, right? And, and these kids that you used to love, <laughs> that you've spoiled, and, and your family have spoiled them, uh, they, they're getting on your nerves. And then you have to go to work, right? And then it's like, the joy of the Lord has gone because you have to go to work. And, and it's like, you, you get your credit card bill, and you're coming to the realization that maybe you have, you have spent too much. Maybe you should have saved up for your wife's present instead of charging it. And <laughs> I got some uncomfortable laughs there. And you realize you got that, you, you know, income is going to be an issue. And, uh, and then, you know, your, you know, your boss, or if you're self-employed, they're expecting you to, to be on your game tomorrow, Right? So it's, it's time. It's time to get back to real life. And so, but I want to look at these, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to look at these, these three things. I want, to, I want to look at our marriage, and I want to look at, at family, at family life, and, and, you know, how you relate to your kids right now, and, and even, even the workplace, going to work, bringing in an income. So we'll be looking at those three things in the next couple of weeks, and then the 18th, we'll be looking into the whole a healthy lifestyle. We'll be doing the Daniel plan. Basically, I'm asking the church to move into an area of prayer and fasting, and I want I want you to think about it in that way as we do this Daniel plan. So we'll we'll be sending you some more information on it. But it's a forty it's a forty day um, uh, you know kind of eating right. But there's also the, built into the the Daniel plan is the idea that yes, not only do you eat right and you 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 eat to live. But there's, there's also scripture and there's spiritual growth. The body is the temple. And, and we've been treating it like, uh, like Disneyland, right? So the body's a temple. But for us, it's uh, uh, Anthony Bourdain says, uh, you know, some people say the body's a temple, but my, my body is an amusement park, right? Does that make sense? Has your body been an amusement park this season? So let's just take a look at our bodies and, and let's, let's make it a spiritual discipline. Paying attention to what goes in, what goes out, uh, and, and, and it, will, it will change. It will, it will change your, your personal inner, inner relationships with people because you're going to be forced to talk to people about how you're doing, um, and, and it will change your, how you even communicate with God because after you have detoxed and you, you've gotten over your, your sugar headaches because you're going to cut out sugar, after you've done that, uh, you, believe it or not, you're going to be able to hear God better. So it's going to be an exciting thing. So I'm looking forward to it. But uh, anyway, so today, today I want to talk about, I want to talk about marriage. Now, if you're single or uh, if, if you're not married or you don't plan to get married, but maybe someday you do plan to get married, regardless where you're at uh, in, your, in your relationship status, um, the message is going to be for you. I mean, I'm going to be focusing specifically on the area of, of relationships, but um, uh, the scripture that we're going to be reading out of Ephesians was written by a single man, and he has the deepest understanding of marriage that, that, is, that has ever been put on paper. And so we're, I'm really excited about looking into it. So uh, if, you, if you're not married and you've never planned to get married, there's something in this for you. Uh, if you were married and are no longer married and you're licking your wounds, this message is for you. And if some, someday, if you, if you plan to get married, you pay attention. Take some notes, okay? Because um, I would like for you 
to avoid some pain. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if you could avoid some things that, um, I don't know, some difficulties that your friends or your relatives went through? You don't, our kids don't have to experience the same pain that we did. They don't. They don't have to go through the, the school of hard knocks like we did. There's, they're going to go through the school of hard knocks. That's, that's the best place to learn, but they don't have to make the same mistakes. There's generational curses that we can break now, but it's your responsibility to do it. And so this is what we're going to be looking into. All right, so um, if you're new around the church, uh, marriage and relationships is it's one of the things that we do. Uh, our mission statement is... is a relationship and not religion. It's, it's printed you know, several places on that big giant banner out there when you drive up Claremont Boulevard. Relationship and not religion. And so the, our, whole, our whole mission, what we do, what is in our, what's in our mind and what's in you know, how we live things out as we do church life is that we, we don't, we don't want to make a, a religious institution. We have plenty of those and they haven't done the world any good because what religion teaches us is that you have to earn your faith. Only a, only a personal relationship in Jesus says, if you, if you develop this relationship, then, then that is where life begins. Life in Christ. And so that's, that's the main thing, it's a relationship. Okay, so I wanna have a relationship with God. I don't wanna have a systematic religion with God. But the same is true with people. So I want to have... I want to have a relationship with my wife. I don't want to have a contract with her. Does that make sense? So I want to uh, not only just be married to her, but I want to be in love and I want to be in like. There's a difference. We'll be talking about that. But I, I actually, um, I, I choose to love my wife and sometimes I like her. Does that make sense? I, I always love her. Sometimes she doesn't like me, but she loves me. So these are the things that we're going to be talking about. So, um, so even we can, we can build a religion with God, we can also build a religion with people. Meaning that you, you put people into a system where you're expecting something in return. So I'm going, to, I'm going to invest, I'm going to be nice to my wife, so in turn she's going to be nice to me. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a contract. And there is some truth to that. There is some covenantal issues that are biblical, but what I really want is I want oneness with my wife. I want, I want, I want a connection. I, I, want, I want an intimacy with my spouse, and, and, I, and I bet that you do too. Uh, you, you don't want a contract that has a prenup in it. Hmm? All right, so, so, uh, so relationship and not religion, it, it applies to people too. And our vision for our church, our vision for Granite Creek is that we want to see, first and foremost, families transformed by heaven. So when Jesus says, you know, as, on earth as it is in heaven, meaning that there's a, divine, uh, there's a divine intervention in life that can happen when we're in relationship with God. That he, like God wants to come, to, he wants to rip open heaven and he wants it to be a part of your life. He's leading us to live a natural, supernatural lifestyle. I don't know what that exactly means, but I know that God wants to be active in my life. And the difficult part is for me to allow him to be active in my life because I'm a control freak. But our vision for this church is to see heaven-transforming families. I want to see God transform my family. I want, uh, yeah, I want my body to be a temple. Granite Creek, uh, is, it's the house of God. There's a divine presence that rests on this place. But I want my home to be like that too. Your, your home is, it's, it's, I guess you could say it's your castle, but it's also your temple. It's also your church. That's where, that's where real development in your child's works begins. And so we want, we want to see um, this supernatural transformation happen in the home environment. When I'm growing up, um, you know, I was a pastor's kid. And so, you know, I always got drugged to other people's houses for dinners. And I had to hang out with kids I didn't like. Oh, it was, it was painful. But that's, you know what, that's the job, right? That's, the, that's, what, that's what pastors do. They... Um, <laughs> I love you folks. I love you all. All right, you are so dear to me. 
You are so dear to me. And, and really, we are blessed. I, I have other friends that are pastors, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you should quit now. I love you. I really do. But being a pastor is the only job in the world where you're obligated to be friends with people that you do not like. Like, doctors have to be nice to you, but they don't have to be your friend. When I choose to be friends with you, I will develop a heart for you. And vice versa, you can choose to do the same. We believe in the priesthood of believers. So you can choose to have a heart for anybody. And maybe you don't like them, but someday you will. Someday you were like, you know what, I actually want to go over to their house. Okay, so with that said, uh, I used to go over to people's houses and, uh, this is so, okay, kids were going to understand this. Young, young people, you'll understand this. But young people are really smart. They're, they're smarter than, than you think. And they perceive and they see every little detail. And so um, they, can, they can spot hypocrisy a mile away. And so growing up in, in, you know, in, the, in a church lifestyle, there were people that were trying to be religious, and we had to go over to their house. And you could definitely, me as a young boy, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there, I could always tell the, the, the hypocrites from the, the, the true people that were following and walking the walk. So, you know, mom and dad would, would talk all this Christianese language, and then you go over to their house, and their kids are horrible. I think I saw some of the most horrible things growing up in Christian homes. Hmm? Why? It's because heaven hadn't transformed their house. There was no, there was no mantle. There was no covering. Like there was, there was sin in the house, and everybody was ignoring it. And these are these are Christian folks. These are I don't, they're not here anymore. But these were elders. These were leaders. Yet. Me, as a young boy, I could sense that there was sin in the house. And all you got to do is just hang out with your kids, and you know that there's something wrong. So this is what we're after. And it begins with the marriage. The marriage is, it is, it is sacred. And so when we say we want to see heaven transform families and culture, again, it begins with the marriage. It begins with the family in the family home, but more, even, even more so in the, in the marriage relationship between one man and one woman, because that is where God started it all. That's where it all began. It was in the garden. It was in the garden. And Paul, the single man, the single author, he says, this is a mystery. You know what? Okay, we know that Paul was single when he wrote this. We know that he was single when he was a Christian. Uh, there's speculation that he might have been married, that, that, he, that when Paul became a Christian, his wife left him. So he's, you know, if, you've had, if you had to go through a divorce or a bad breakup, you understand pain. Well, good chances are Paul understood relationship pain, but he was able to write something that was so beautiful and so powerful and had so much depth. And hopefully by the end of it, you're going to see it. That's my, that's, my, that's my goal today. So get your Bibles out and uh, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, that's the, that's the intro to this, this section that we're going to be looking at. Uh, Paul says, okay, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. Because, now, he's, not, he's, talking about, he's talking about marriage right now. He's talking about relationships between a man and a woman. But this, is, this goes across the board. When, when Paul says, submit to one another, in a, in a church family setting... That ought to be the attitude of our hearts. When you do small group study, you need to go into the environment with the mindset is, okay, I'm willing to submit to my friends and to my leaders that, 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 are, that I'm learning the word from. Leaders, if you are a Bible study leader or if you are a pastor, it applies to us too. 
There has to, you have to be able to submit to one another. Why? Because, because, because you revere Christ. Uh, the other definition of this word revere is because you fear Christ. So there is an honor due to him. And the way that we honor Christ is we submit to one another. Okay, but back to the marriage setting. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you would to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present to her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless in the same way. Excuse me. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, people who have never hated their own bodies, but they feed and they care for them, just as Christ does for the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, there's a lot there. I mean, it's, this is the word of the Lord. This is God's word. Whether you like it or not, that's what it is. But there, what, what, is so, what is so deep and what is so meaningful about this? Because, uh, you know, there's like words we don't like, like submit, uh, <laughs> There's husbands love and give and be willing to die. That, that's tough, too. Okay, I mean, yeah. The way that I like to look at it is submit and love are basically the same word put together for, for different people, for, for, for different sexes. And for us to love, for husbands to love their wives, um, it has to be a choice. You have to, there, there's, okay, I, I, unfortunately, next time we do a thing on marriage, my wife will come up here and we'll do that, we'll tag team this. So you're going to get the male perspective, I'm sorry. But that's, just, that's just the way it is right now. But um, men, um, obviously we're visual and we're, and we're attracted to beautiful things and so we've got that whole mix on and um, I don't, guys, I don't know about you, but I was not created monogamous. It's not my nature. My nature is not to be with one woman my entire life. How do I know this? Because I have a wandering eye. Because I, I just, it, it just, it just, it's just who, it's just who I am. And a lot of men understand this truth and they live it out. It is, it's, it's not in our nature to be monogamous, to be, to be loyal and subject to one person. So when, when um, Paul, and when the Bible says, love one another, husbands love your wife, uh, he is not talking about men's initial attraction to women, which is emotion-based. Every single time the Bible talks about the word love, it's not an emotion. It's a choice. And so uh, after, we, after you go through the honeymoon phase and the warm fuzzies wear off and the attraction might wane a little bit, men have to choose to love. They have to sacrifice themselves for their wives. They have to sacrifice their desires. Why? Why? Because it's not your body anymore. See, this is, I think that this is probably gets to the, the, the core of our problem. Our, our culture, our culture has, uh, has got a hold of marriage, and it has done a lot of things to it. 
It, it, we, we have redefined it. I don't know if you've watched the news, but we have redefined the actual meaning of marriage. It happened. And, and you know, a lot of us are, are freaking out. Okay, okay, so homosexual marriage is now an acceptable thing, right? Because of, of the rights of individuals. Okay, so I, we, yeah, we get that. Um, polygamy is right around the corner, folks. It's still taboo, but it's going to happen. Polygamy will happen in our lifetime. I guarantee it. it polygamy fits our culture. It does. If you take a look at our culture, polygamy fits it because we have, we have a working husband and we have a woman that, that's, you know, she wants to be fulfilled by her career. Well, there's, there's housework that needs to get done and that's where a lot of tension happens in the house. So our culture is, it's, it's ready for polygamy. It will happen. It, within five years, it won't be taboo anymore because we want to allow people to have their rights. So I don't know where you fall on this. That's not the point. The point is, is it's, uh, it's being redefined. And now, you know, we're dealing with those issues, but this started a long time ago, folks. This started 10, 15, 20 years in our culture because you could go to Las Vegas and you could get ripped. You could get drunk. You could get married and on the street. And then, then you wake up and 24 hours later, you can go to another place and get a divorce. And it's no big deal. It's something that you laugh about at parties. Oh, yeah, I got, I, got, I got wasted in Vegas and got married. And it's no big deal. We blow it off. What else is going on in our culture? Because so we got the re redefining of what marriage is, but we also have this really bizarre, perverted view of matrimony. So we have these extravagant, opulent, disgusting weddings that cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. And then they plan them all year out long. And it's like an immediate event for famous people. And the preparation time takes longer, that uh, lasts longer than the actual marriage. And, the, and these Hollywood stars, they get divorced and, and we feel so sorry for them. I don't. I don't care about, I won't say any names. <laughs> but it, it's it, this, this display of this opulent, excessive money explosion on a, on a show. Mar marriage is not a show. Now, the, I like Catholics, so you know, I think Catholics are cool. I'm, I'm down with Catholics, right? Um, <laughs> And one of the things that I appreciate about Catholics that, that we Anglo-Saxon white Protestants don't do is that um, they believe that only the church can marry. Hmm? So it is, it's only the church that can, that can provide holy matrimony in the presence of God. Well, Protestants don't. I don't necessarily, I don't know if I've ever even thought about it this way until I started studying it. But Protestants don't. We don't care if the, if the you know, if, the, if you get married at the courthouse or if you get married on a ship or if you get married in Vegas. We say, okay, well, you've gone into contract and so therefore your marriage, you know, let's, let's, let's make this thing work. Maybe we need to rethink things, huh? Maybe, maybe marriage ought to be done in the sight of God. But do you see what I'm saying? You see what we've done with and I hate to even use the word institution of marriage, but we've taken marriage and we've made it, we've perverted it into something completely different. And I'm not talking about sexual preference. I'm talking about what our culture has done to it. And so therefore, we just don't, we don't value it anymore. We, we have people that have serial uh, divorces, right? They just, you know, it's, it's time to go for another one. Look, um, when you, when you choose to love and when you become one flesh, one thing that I learned within my first, I don't know, couple weeks of marriage, one thing that I learned is, um, you know, I get the whole, intellectually, I get the whole one flesh thing. That's all romantic and stuff like that. I get that. Honey, let's be one flesh, okay? But when you live together, <laughs> when you live together, uh, my stuff is now her stuff. And her stuff is now my stuff. 
I was an only child for 18 years, and I still don't know how to share. And, and so I actually, like her makeup is my makeup. Of course, I don't put it on. But did you see, her stuff is my stuff. My time is her time. That one's tough, isn't it, guys? Uh, you learn that one quick, too. Because, you know, I was, you know, I got married in my late 20s. And so I was, I did whatever I wanted to do whenever I wanted to do it. When you get married, those things change, right? Where are you going, honey? I'm going out. <laughs> really? So can we have a conversation about you going out? I don't know why. I'm just going out. So your time is no longer your time. All right. Uh, this could have been a couple weaker. All right. Okay, so in order to, in order to strengthen your marriage, there's a couple of things that we need to do to strengthen our marriage, but the number one thing that we need to do to have holy matrimony this is going to be difficult. I don't know if I have enough time to really flesh it out. Is that you need to be spirit-filled. Like, you can, like all those uncomfortable things that I talked about, those politically incorrect things that I talked about earlier, you can have all your opinions and all your judgments about that kind of stuff. But if you, if you are not spirit-filled, if you're not a spirit-filled husband, and if you're not a spirit-filled wife, or even if there's an unbalance in your home in that area, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And the, the, the scripture that, that Paul reads before he talks about uh, submit to one another, husbands love your wives, wives submit, before he reads that, you know what he talks about? He says, he says get your lives in order. Okay, this is, this is literally, almost literally what he says. He says, examine your lives, get your, get your life in order, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, right? So he says, don't get drunk on wine, get filled with the Spirit, husbands love your wives. And then in the next, next few verses, he says, you know, take care of your kids. And then into, into chapter six, he says, be a good worker, Why? Now, I'm a charismatic. So uh, whenever, whenever charismatics read the Bible, they read what they want to read. Hmm? Um, <laughs> and so whenever we read this, this area of um, don't get drunk on wine, but be drunk in the Holy Spirit. You know what that means to a charismatic? God is out to give you a buzz. I'm like, sign me up. So I can get a spiritual high and not have a hangover. I'm, all, I'm down with that. I want to get drunk in the spirit. Hmm? But after I spent some time actually reading the Bible in its context, that's not what it means. Oh, it doesn't mean that. Now, I, I, I'm not, again, I'm a charismatic. I'm not, a, I'm not below God giving you a buzz. I think it happens. I think God can fill you with immeasurable joy where your body can't contain it. Huh? I think God is out to wreck you. I do. I think he's out to rock your world, and, and, and you're going to hate it and love it at the same time because it's going to hurt like Hades, but it's going to feel so good. Hmm? So, yeah, I believe these things. But in this context, when, when, when Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, be, get drunk on the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit because if you are not filled with the Spirit, you cannot do marriage properly. That's what he's saying. If you're not filled with the Spirit, not only can you not do marriage properly, you can't raise your kids properly. And if you're not, if you're not filled with the Spirit, you're not going to be a good employee either. That's what he's saying. Because uh, for those of you who are married, is it hard? Huh? <laughs> Come on, this is, it's, it, it, it's difficult. Marriage is hard. It, it's, 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 it, it's painful. It requires a lot of work. You have to actually push into pain, painful situations. It's easier to dull your senses. 
It's easier to avoid pain. It's what we talked about last week, the difference between Christianity and Buddhism. Buddhism says, all right, pain is, is obviously here. Let's minimize pain in our life no matter what we do. Uh, they're not going to condone, condone alcoholism, but see, alcoholism is the same thing. I want to minimize the pain in my life, therefore I'm going to drink. My marriage is a disaster, and I don't want to feel this pain anymore, so I'm going to take a drink. That's what's going on. But see, when you are drunk in the Holy Spirit, the, the area of, because Paul says, because get your life in order, pay attention to these things. You need to head it on full, 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 full steam. So when you're drunk with the Holy Spirit, it's not that you, the pain is being lessened. It's being, you are being empowered to deal with the problem that you cannot fix. You cannot fix your marriage. The only way that that's going to happen is if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're drunk on his wine. That's the only way. Same is true when you're raising your kids, and same is true when you're trying to get favor in your work environment. Okay, so that's what he's saying. So how do we actually strengthen our marriage by being filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you've got to spend some time. You actually have to invest in your marriage. And I know this is kind of like guide talk, so I'm sorry. I'm sure ladies would say something differently. But you need to actually invest in your marriage. You have to invest the time. You have to put it on the schedule. Go on a date. Do it. Um, you have to make God number one. You have to make your spouse priority in your life. And if you don't have a spouse, that's okay. Well, there's other things that you can do. You can make God number one in your life. But if you are married, if you are of one flesh, your spouse is your number one priority in life. Well, what about God, Josh? See, I think that's where Paul is getting into the mystery. Obviously, I can't put my wife above God. I mean, we know that, right? But they're awfully close. Because it's, it's the mystery. It's the one flesh idea behind this whole thing. So you have to make them number one. So... Um, in your, it, it, these are difficult questions. Is your career more important than your spouse? Like we all have to work, we all have to make a living, but do you value your career more than you value your spouse? Or would you rather spend time in the office than you would spend at home? That's tough. Friends, do you, do you, do you value your friends more than you do your spouse? Here's the secret to my marriage. Mako is my best friend. I think that's how it should be. She's my best friend. I have guy friends, but I would rather hang out with Mako than I would my guy friends. That's the secret to our marriage. Maybe it's different for you, I don't know. Um, you have to make your spouse number one, even though your parents are in the mix. Like, you have to put your spouse above your parents. And that might seem like a no-brainer, but the most, the closest relationship is between a mother and her child. But in the garden, it was not Eve and her child. It was Adam and Eve. Interesting, isn't it? The bond between a mother and a child and sometimes a father and a child is, is the most intense thing because we pour ourselves into our kids. Uh, we can see ourselves in our kids. They are an extension of us, right? And when you get married, Paul says it. Genesis 2 says it. It says you must what? Leave. You must leave your parents. You must, cleave and leave is, is the idea behind it. Um, this is tough because you can go to your parents for counsel. You can go seek advice from your, from your, from your, from your parents, and that's, that's completely you know, within the realm of, of, of legitimacy. But way too many times when people get married, um, the umbilical cord has not been cut yet. One of the best church... Uh, words of wisdom that I received outside of my parents uh, was that, you know, Josh, now, and this is, this is, this, I, we had a couple that took us out to lunch when Mako and I were going to get married. Uh, it was at Granite Creek. And uh, they said, okay, you guys, we're really excited that you guys are getting married next week. Here's, here's some wisdom for you. 
uh, not if you argue, but when you get into this big, giant, blowout argument, here's the number one rule. Don't go run to mom and dad. Don't go run to mom and dad when you fight with your spouse. You Bible tells us you have to cleave that thing. You have to leave that thing. I'm not saying maybe you shouldn't get some, you know, some marital advice from your dad, but like if, if your spouse wounds you deeply, and they do this, right? Like when we, you got to learn how to fight fair, but sometimes we don't fight fair and we say bad things and we wound our spouses deeply. And when you do that, um, don't go and tell mom and dad because you and your wife or your spouse, you're going to kiss and you're going to make up. You're going to have, I shouldn't say the S word, but you're going you're gonna to make up I know, we have littler ones in here. So. And you're going to be fine. But your parents are going to hate your spouse's stinking guts because they hurt their baby. Does that make sense? So you have to cleave that thing. Now, that's part of it. But you know what else is involved in leaving and cleaving? Is I don't have time. I, I, oh, I don't have time for this. But you know what else is involved? Your parents are great folks. They're really great. They have like a lot, mom and dad have a lot of good qualities. They also have some bad qualities. And when you leave, spiritually, you're required to leave their baggage behind. And we don't do this. We take our parents' dysfunctions into our own marriages. The number one problem with marriages is, is that the things that we learn, the behaviors that we've developed, the dysfunctions that, that we bring into our marriages, we've learned from our parents. And when the Bible says you need to cleave and leave, it, it's the idea that you need to start new. You need to become a new creation. And you might be thinking, oh my gosh, I've been married 15 years, and I never did that. Today is a new day. It's a new year. Your marriage can become completely new. But you have to get into this mindset that I have to, I have to review my history. I, I need, okay, I gotta, I'm going to plug this before I run out of time. So a lot of this material I've gotten out of this book, which Aaron and Kathy are starting this Thursday night. It is how we love. And a big part of the issue that we deal with is the patterns and the dysfunctions that we've learned from our parents. It's written by Christian psychologists. It's really good material. And so, um, we learned, okay, I'm going to go over these real quick because they're just too important. Okay, so you've got to leave and cleave your parents. And then um, next thing, this is going to be tough. If you're, if you're married and if you have children, you have to put your spouse over your children. You have to love your, kid, your spouse more than you love your kids. One of the huge dysfunctions in marriage is that a couple, they get married, and the spouse says, I've, I've got the kid. I don't need my spouse for affection anymore. And when the kids get more physical attention or more affectionate displays of, of attention than, than the spouse does, you're, you're in really, really dangerous territory. If you're loving on your kid more than you're loving on your spouse, you're in dangerous territory. And, and you're not, you're not going to see the results of it uh, now or in five years. You'll see it when your kid grows up. That's, that's the danger of it, okay? So you've got to... I mean, this is difficult, isn't it? You actually have to put your spouse above your kids. And again, we are not wired that way, but that's what the Bible tells us to do. Okay, so we need basically, uh, when you are married, you need to become a PhD in your spouse. You need to do research on your spouse. And you might think, well, we dated for six months. I know everything about her. You don't. You don't. And this is probably the most important bit of information that I can give you on pushing into hard areas of relationships is that you need to know 
You need to know about your spouse's childhood history. You need to know how they were raised, how, how, um, how they were nurtured. Like when bad things happen, did your spouse get nurtured? Can you remember it? You know, one of the things that the book talks about is that uh, they, they ask a question to the audience. When was the last time you can remember being comforted when you were, when you were hurt or when you were in pain when you were a child? 75% of people can't remember being comforted by their parent. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but it didn't make an imprint on their mind. And so that plays a key role into this. Now there's, there's five, the book is, it's, it's kind of similar to the, the, the love languages, but there's five love styles. And the first style is the secure, um, the secure connector. This is the person that is comfortable in their own skin. Not only can they receive criticism and not be destroyed, like they can receive feedback. Okay, I'm going to take out what's good. Yeah, I need to work on that in my life. That's not true about me. That's a big fat lie. And they can filter out uh, criticism and feedback, and they can become better for it. And they can give feedback and criticism in a healthy way. They can tell their loved one, look, this area in your life is not good, and I'm, let's, what can we do about it? Instead of saying, you're a big fat jerk, I hate your guts, and you, you hurt me, and this is why, right? So they give feedback, but they don't hurt people. Now, um, the, the secure connector, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of mythical because it's impossible to obtain. There's only one secure connector in the universe, and that's Jesus. So he is the ultimate secure connector, and he was completely secure in who he was and how he walked, right? Okay, so that's, that's, the, that's the good one. That's what we need to obtain. The second one is the avoider. Okay, this is a negative character trait that you've developed from your parents. And the avoider is not the one that wants to avoid problems. The avoider is the one that didn't get the emotional connections as a child that they needed. They didn't get the affection. And so it's a very... Um, uh, uh, cold environment, very uh, production-driven accomplishments, you know, making sure that they got straight A's and that they were number one on the sports team and they're going to get a good career and get into the right job. And the, the, the avoider, uh, it's not that they don't, they don't avoid conflict, they avoid intimacy with people because they don't need anybody. They can do it on their own, right? The avoider. The next one is the pleaser. Now, the pleaser does avoid conflict because the pleaser says, I want to, uh, if you're okay, I'm okay. So there's an insecurity in the pleaser. So as long as everybody's nice and there's no tension, then I'm going to feel secure, right? And what happened at home? Well, there was chaos at home and there was fear breathed into a child, right? And so the child's number one goal was to make sure that mom and dad were happy, right? And then they, then they grow up and they bring that dysfunction into a marriage. So they, can't, they don't handle conflict well. They, don't, they can't handle criticism or feedback well. They get deeply wounded when somebody says, maybe you ought to straighten up. Man, it's difficult stuff. Next one is, uh, is the pleaser. The pleaser wants closeness. They want a connection. Um, I'm sorry, facilitator, yeah. The next one is facilita uh, facilitator or vacillator? Vacillator. Thank you. Uh, the vacillator is, is somebody that is, they, they, they actually thrive on conflict. They, they go for high highs and low lows, but it's not a chemical thing. It's not a bipolar issue. It's more an emotional connection. So um, whenever a child is wounded or hurt, they, they, the, the, natural, the natural response from a parent is to comfort and to soothe and to give relief, right? But a vacillator only gets that sometimes. Like sometimes they might get the, the, the parent that comes in and nurtures and cares and loves and gives, gives relief and gives hope. But the next day, maybe dad's in a bad mood and they don't get it. They get a different response, and so they have different experiences of what happens. And the, the, the vacillator, um, being around them is like walking on eggshells. They, they, like, you leave the dishes out, might not be that big of a deal, but on this day, it's a big deal for the vacillator. 
and they blow it out of proportion. And they make the, the response bigger than the infraction. Okay. And then the, the, the next one, which is probably more uh, tragic, is the chaotic environment. And in that chaotic uh, environment, uh, there's two, there's two uh, love styles. There is the controller, and then there's the victim. Uh, the controller in a chaotic environment, mom and dad are disconnected, there's abuse, there's neglect, and so what happens if there's more than one kid? The older kid takes control, he fixes problems, he gets everything's organized, and then there's the victim who gets, who is, they find their identity in being victimized. It's tough stuff. And the truth is we're all in some areas of this. And what the Christian lifestyle says is that we want you to push into this. We want you to become an expert where you are. Yeah, return to your childhood. Yeah, I know, do some self-reflection stuff. Be an expert on who you are, but also be an expert on your wife. Because why? Because you're one flesh. All right. It's a complicated. That's like one of the words out there, right? How's your relationship? It's complicated. Now, the next question I'm going to pose is, is difficult. Especially for young people who, who are looking at marriage and they're really confused. The next question is really difficult. Why bother? Hmm? Why bother with marriage? Why is it even important? All right, here we go. This is why it's important. It's important for you. Like, if you have the opportunity to be blessed in a relationship, it's good for you. Um, Bible says it's good for someone to find a spouse. It's a good thing. Socrates says if you... If you find a good wife, you're going to be happy. If you find a bad wife, you're going to be a philosopher. <laughs> so this is a difficult, you know, you have to make, this is important for people that, that, that are not in a relationship because it's important about who you pick and that you understand yourself and you understand them. The decision is, a, it's a big decision. It really is. But why, why fight for it? Well, again, it's going to be good for you. If you have kids, it's going to be great for your kids, for your kids to grow up in a spirit-filled, healthy environment. But there's also the mystery. You know, occasionally, I, I get weddings or at funerals or you know, functions of some sort. You see the old couple. You see, this, you see this old couple, and they're together. They are connected. They touch. They communicate without words. They both can be talking to different people at the same time, and they're completely secure in who they are. There's this sweetness. And everybody in the room knows that what they have is special, right? How do they do that? They're, they're completely secure in their own skin. There's no insecurity. And it's like even when, when they touch, they communicate. That's the garden, folks. And when Paul ends this little snippet here, he says, here's the, here's the trick. This is the why. He says, I'm not talking about marriage I'm talking about the church. So why? Why, be, why go into the, the difficulties of marriage? Okay, again, do it for yourself. Do it for family. What, yeah, whatever. But the most important reason, as Paul illustrates, is, is because it is the most powerful illustration in the world to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. One man, one woman united in holy matrimony. It is the great mystery because it is, it is our relationship, it's how our relationship ought to be with Jesus. We are his bride, he is the bridegroom. I wish I could spend more time on that. 
We're gonna have the band and ushers come up to the front. And so here's your, here's your challenge today. Um, do, do some hard work. And love is a choice. That, that's, that's probably one of the number one things that you need to take home. It's, it's not an emotion. It's not, a, it's not a feeling. Love is an action. And then the feelings will follow. And so um, what I'm saying is, and again, the Buddhists know this, pain is unavoidable. You shall experience pain in this life. And I want to encourage you today to choose to push into pain today. Maybe there's some wonkiness in your relationship. Like maybe there's some things that, that you would just rather, instead of confronting and taking care of business, you'd rather drink. You'd rather, you'd rather ignore the problem. You'd rather dull the pain. But I, what I'm saying to you today is, is love is an action. And maybe today you need to take action. And chances are you don't have all the tools to fix yourself. So probably the most powerful action that you can take is to sign up for the marriage course that starts this Thursday. And you're going to get into these five things. And you're going to see how one love style compares and contrasts with another and where the, the roadblocks and the fireworks might happen. It could save your marriage. So this, this pain that you might experience, the pain that that hurts so bad yet feels so good in a 20 weeks week period of time, it's going to be nothing compared to the pain and the expense that you might have to deal with 10, 15 years down the road when you're in divorce. This is the reality of it. Short-term pain now or long-term miserable pain later. That might be your decision today. Take action. God, right now, we just thank you so much for this this beautiful day in this beautiful church. And God, I pray that we will understand uh, the, the mystery of marriage itself, that, that in the garden, there was it, was, it was Adam and Eve, and it wasn't, you didn't start off with the nuclear family. You didn't start off with Adam and his harem. You were real, God. And so God, I pray that we will just get back to that that mystery of who you are and how marriage illustrates your good word. And God, right now, I just pray for every hurting heart, every broken heart, every, every, everybody that wants to give up on their relationship. God, I pray right now that they will be spirit-filled, that they will, they will get drunk on the Holy Spirit today so that they can confront each and every issue. Bless this offering, Lord. We love you.